In It Together, from the sermon series, Beyond the Building, spoken by Pastor Kevin Swanson. Can we just thank the people that are putting so much into those videos? I, I have no idea what goes into that, but I know that hours and hours are being spent every week to pre- uh, prepare a fresh video for us to show different aspects of uh, the future that we believe that God has for us. Uh, let me just add my greetings to all you moms today. Thank you guys so much for what you do. As I was listening to Pastor Peter, I was just reminded that in our family, in, our, in kind of our extended family, we, we sort of have all of the difficult things that sometimes moms uh, have to face. You know, the unwanted singleness, the pain of infertility, um, rebellious children, broken relationships with moms, uh, and even children that never got to meet their own birth moms. I mean, motherhood isn't all rosy, and, and we've seen and experienced that even in our family. So for any of you that are expe- experiencing pain today in relation to uh, motherhood, whether it's you as a mother or your relationship with your mom, I just want to acknowledge that pain. It's real. Thanks for showing up. I know a lot of people, they just say, Mother's Day is not my day. I just don't even want to be with people. But uh, obviously, our God is a redeemer, and our God is a God of grace, and he gives mercy and strength even in the midst of that kind of pain. Uh, so I just want to say that as we start today. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get into our our passage this morning. God, it's good to gather together here today. It's good to know that you are here in this place. It's good to know that you have a plan and a purpose for Metro Community Church, that you have a vision for this local body, and that you have great things ahead for us. God, help us to be alert to that. Even today, as we look into your word, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in a crowd this size, I can only imagine that probably half or more of us have had this situation in life where we got totally blindsided by something. We received some news that was so unexpected and it just turned our world upside down. And maybe from that point on, life was never the same as before. That's what we saw happen to Nehemiah in chapter one. If you were here two weeks ago and Pastor Peter opened this book for us, he receives this news that just drove him to the ground, that his, his, the town he claimed as his hometown had been reduced to rubble. It was in complete disrepair and it just, it drove him to weep and to fast and to pray. Now, I've never had a moment just like that, but I can think back to one moment I've had in my life that that sort of parallels what Nehemiah expected that day. This was years ago when Linda and I were serving as missionaries in Venezuela. We were there with our two small children. Uh, I was a missionary pilot, which meant that I flew supplies and stuff out to missionaries, doctors, teachers, Bible translators that were in very remote areas. They couldn't get in and out without an airplane. And one day, at the end of the day, I'd made my flight. The other pilot had made his. The planes were back in our little hangar. We had a, a little two-bay hangar there. I think there's a picture of it coming up. Um, the other guy had gone home. I was all alone out at the hangar. It was one of those relaxing, quiet times of the day. It's like, ah, oh, it's over. It's time to go home, get cleaned up, have dinner. And this vehicle pulled up right outside the fence. Official-looking vehicle. Never seen it before. Guy stepped out. I didn't know him. And he pulls an envelope out, and he reaches over the fence and hands me this envelope. And I took it from him, and I said, gracias. He got in his car, and he drove away. I opened up this envelope, and on government letterhead, it says, we are informing you that 
this airport is undergoing a complete renovation and the new master plan does not call for a hangar to be where your hangar is built. You have 15 days to move out of your hangar. Now you need to understand that this building had been there for over 20 years. This was the center of operations for us. This is where we kept the planes protected from the sun and the rain, where we worked on them and kept them safe to make the flights, where we stored the cargo for the people we were serving. We had our office. Everything happened at this hangar. It was the center of our ministry life. And this guy just told us we had 15 days to get out. And we just went crazy for 15 days. I mean, we took everything out of that building while we were doing our, our work. Our work didn't stop our ministry. We had to keep flying the airplanes, but we took all the tools out. We parked the planes out in the field. Uh, we started taking the building apart because there was a lot of expensive building materials in there. And true to that letter, on day 15, there were two tractors out there. There was a bulldozer and another tractor there. And, and literally within two hours, they had leveled everything. They'd torn up our ramp. And if you would have come out at noon that day, you would never have known that there was a hangar there. I can't tell you what a hopeless feeling that was. I mean, we just felt like we, we had no roots. We, we had no home anymore. We had no place to gather. We had no place to meet. We had no place to launch ministry from. It was, it was devastating. And I think that was just a fraction of what Nehemiah felt and what the people of Israel felt knowing that their hometown, the center of their nation, had been reduced to rubble. We saw that when Nehemiah got that news that he, that he demonstrated how deeply he cared about his nation in his reaction with weeping and praying and fasting. And we saw Nehemiah capitalize on his relationship with the king who he was serving. He took advantage of that relationship, took some huge risks. He risked his job. He risked his life to ask the king for time off and for building materials so he could go and rebuild the town. And Nehemiah was believing that God had indeed placed on his heart something way bigger than himself. And he was willing to act on that. And where we pick up the storyline today, Nehemiah is now leaving Susa and he's making the 900-mile trip to Jerusalem to see what he can do about this issue. The big question that's burning in his mind is, when I get there, is anybody going to be willing to help? Is anybody going to sign up to help rebuild this wall? He didn't know. He had no idea. So we're going to pick this up today uh, in chapter 2, verse 11. It gives us a bit of backstory, and then we get into chapter 3, which is where we'll spend most of our time today. Let me read for us chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Nehemiah is writing, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the wall of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I, as yet, had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in? 
Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. For three days, he says nothing about why he is there. He does his recon of the whole city, finds out, yes, it's every bit as bad as what he'd been told, probably worse. But he also created a little buzz by being there. And what we find out was that people in, in and around Jerusalem and people from surrounding towns heard about him and they came. They were curious. What's going on? What's happening there in Jerusalem? These were all Israelites. This was their town. And now these people are gathered there. And I sort of picture it as a group like us here today, about this size. Because as we read through the list of the builders, there are not a whole lot of them. And so this is what I picture, a group about the size of you today who gathered to find out what this guy, Nehemiah, was about. And he tells them what they already know. The town is destroyed. And, and then he extends an invitation to all of them. He says, come, let us, me and you, let's us together rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we will no longer be in disgrace. And at this point, Nehemiah is probably kind of holding his breath. But what happens at the end of verse 18 is Nehemiah writes this. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I'm sure there was a huge sigh of relief on the part of Nehemiah when he got that response from the people. But one thing we learn about this guy, Nehemiah, is he's a great leader. He's a great manager. And he knows if he just says, thank you all so much, you can go home now, we'll call you when we're ready, he'd probably never see him again. So on the spot, he says, good, thank you very much. Who'd like to do the first section of the wall? Who's going to sign up? You all who just said, yes, let's do this. Who's going to do the first section of the wall? And I sort of picture Nehemiah looking at the, the gathered group there. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees some hands go up over here. And he's excited. And he, he looks over here. And here's five or six men with their hands up. But Nehemiah realizes by their dress, they're the priests. They're the religious leaders. And so being the, the diplomat that he is, he probably oh, Yes, thank you, priests, for being here. Please pray for us during the project. We need your prayers and encouragement. And he goes back to the crowd. And who's going to do the first section of the wall? And the priests are like, no, it's us. We're going to build the first section of the wall. But you guys have a job to do. You work in the temple. Are any of you wall builders? Well, no, but we're willing to learn. And so in verse 1 of chapter 3, Nehemiah writes for us, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. Do you see what's happening here? The priests are leading by example. They're going to get out in front of everybody else, even though they're not wall builders, and they're going to take a section of the wall. And so Nehemiah writes, they don't, they don't just do a gate. No, they do a gate and a section of the wall and another gate. How many people do you think they motivated 
because they were the early adopters to this thing here. If you read through chapter three, which I gotta be honest with you, it's really just a list of names of people and which one of the 43 sections of the wall they built. But if you read it, you will find that the Levites who also work in the temple, they're the guys that kind of manage everything in the temple, they got in on it. It was like, well, if the priests get to build a section of wall, we wanna do one too. So Nehemiah assigned them a section at the end of the chapter, the temple servants. These are the guys that did the dirty work. They cleaned up after everybody else just to keep the temple functioning. They got in on it and they said, we want a piece of the action too. And Nehemiah assigned them a section of the wall. Priests, Levites, temple servants, all working together on rebuilding this wall. Another group identifies themselves in the back there. They're not from Jerusalem. Nehemiah is not sure he recognizes these people, and they identify themselves as the men of Tekoa. Tekoa is six miles away from Jerusalem. That's not a bad commute. You can do that. You can sleep in Tekoa, walk into Jerusalem, work all day, and then go back home. And these guys said, we want to do a section of the wall. And Nehemiah looks, well, it's a good-sized group there. Well, okay, we'll give you guys a, a, a pretty big section. You've got a good group. You look like you're strong workers. And then somebody says, well, no, actually only half of us are here to work. What? Yeah, the guys over here, these are our noble men. They're the, they're the rich guys. They're the, the powerful guys in our town. And, and they don't do walls. Really? They don't do walls? No, sorry, they don't do walls. Only the other half of us. We're sort of the farmers. We're the blue collar guys. We're here to do the work on the walls. Verse 5 of chapter 3 says, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They said, no, nah, we don't do walls. They weren't willing to even follow the example the priests had set who were not wall builders. They weren't willing to work on the walls. Now, I think you all know by now, if you've been here the last three weeks, that we've embarked on this thing that we're calling Beyond a Building to get us into a space for Metro Community Church and Metro Community Center here in the city of Inglewood. We're not asking anybody to pick up rocks and pile rocks on top of each other to build a wall. That was the task in this day. That's all Nehemiah needed was people who were willing to build a wall. But as you know, in the day that we're living in right now, that's not how we do this. We're not going to ask you to go buy boards and you to buy bricks and come and put them together and make a building for us. No. It, it works with currency in our culture today. It works with finances. We, our task before us, church, is to raise the money so that we can make a down payment on a building or a piece of property to build or something and really move ahead into this thing. That's how construction happens in our culture today. We don't do it by picking up rocks. So when you think about what we're asking and inviting you to participate in, it occurs to me that not everybody here can do that. There's actually people in Metro who are not able to participate financially in this project. Now, you may think it's funny that I'm even saying that, but I think we have to address this. I just want to share with you briefly a couple of reasons that are appropriate reasons not to participate in giving finances to be on the building. Okay, the first one is simply this. If you don't have the money to give, if you don't have money that you can give, you shouldn't be trying to give. 
There are people at Metro, believe it or not, who are living paycheck to paycheck and their paycheck often doesn't make it to the end of the month. They're trying to keep the kids fed, a roof over their heads. We have people in Metro who are facing eviction right now. Okay, this is the type of congregation we are. Everybody here isn't in a position to give financially. Some of you are unemployed right now. Some of you are severely underemployed right now and would love to have more employment. We don't want you to go in debt to support beyond a building. Don't start buying your groceries on your credit card so you can give your food money to Metro towards this building. No. If any of these workers that day would have said to Nehemiah, I want to build the wall, and then revealed to him that they'd left a wife and kids at home with no food to eat and a hole in the roof, Nehemiah would have sent them home. He would have said, go get that in order first, and when they're safe and secure and cared for, come back, you can always join the project later. Some of you are unable to give because you have nothing to give. Another appropriate reason for not giving is if your intention is to take your normal offerings and tithes that you give to Metro Community Church and redirect that to beyond a building, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you, if you do that, if a lot of people start failing to give their tithes and offerings, we have to start shutting ministry down at Metro. And we got to keep ministry going 100% throughout this whole campaign. We can't stop. There's too many important things that God has called us to do here. We're asking people to give above and beyond their normal tithes and offerings. What would God ask you to give above and beyond so we can keep doing ministry even while we prepare for the future? Another reason not to give would be if you don't have a supportive spouse. And I know several people, several spouses come to Metro alone. Their, their spouse doesn't attend. Maybe they're not a Christian. Maybe they're not all that supportive of you even attending here. And if you start talking about giving money to this beyond a building thing and it creates disunity in your marriage, that would be wrong. So don't do that if you are in that position. Finally, the last reason not to give is simply this. If your heart is not in it, don't do it. The Apostle Paul says to the churches in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're at this place where you're saying, I don't get this, I don't know why you're doing this, I don't think it's a good idea, we're fine in this school, and your heart is just not in it, it's not time for you to start giving yet, okay? Now, I believe in those four categories at most, we're talking about 5% of the people at Metro, at most. God has blessed this church with people who have great jobs and who have money and, and can actually give above and beyond. And I would say for 95% of us, we don't fall into those categories. But if you do fall into those categories, my encouragement to you is this. Number one, make sure that you are on top of the prayer aspect of this. Get your I've got it on here somewhere, I promise. Get your prayer bracelet. Get your prayer bracelet. Be involved, 40 days of prayer. Today's prayer request on 40 days was that all of us at Metro would find a way to be involved in Beyond the Building. You should be praying for this thing, okay? You should also be praying and asking God, am I missing something, God? Is there a way I could be giving that I don't realize? Ask God to open your eyes to that. If you're unemployed, be praying for a job so that you can be employed and you can join with us. Believe me, there's going to be lots of opportunities going forward. But all of us need to be involved in one way or another. There's only 
what I can see here in the scripture, one unacceptable reason not to give. And that's the nobles of Tekoa who just refused to. They had something to offer, but they said, no, I don't do walls. I might mess up my fingers. And they just refused to do it. That would be an unacceptable reason for any of us here at Metro to not get involved. If this is your church, if you call Metro your home church and we're your church family and stuff, you need to be involved. You need to be involved. We have to conclude as we look at the men of Tekoa who split into two groups that actually serving God is optional. Nobody's being forced. Nehemiah didn't banish those guys or anything like that. But we're all invited. And every one of those wall builders who said yes that day, for, for the rest of their life, they could walk back to the section of the wall that they worked on with their kids or grandkids and say, that's the section right there that I worked on. My friends and I worked on that section. My sisters and I worked on this section here. And I believe we're going to be able to do the same when we get into our building. We will be able to show the next generation what God did here and how we had a part in it. Two guys stood up in this meeting, and they weren't young either. They were probably my age, and, and, and they were by each other. And, and Nehemiah looked at him and was like, okay, <laughs> What, what can you guys do? And, and the one guy says, I'm a jeweler. Okay, how about the guy next to you? Oh, he's a perfume maker. And I'm sure Nehemiah's heart kind of sunk at that point. It's like, what is a jeweler? What is a perfume maker going to be able to contribute to this wall project? But listen to what Nehemiah later gets to write in chapter three, verse eight here, when he says, Aziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, a jeweler, repaired the next session, section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. These two guys, as unlikely candidates as they were, pulled this thing together somehow. I don't know if they recruited their friends or whatever they did, but Nehemiah says these guys completed a significant section of the wall. Metro, don't ever count yourself out. Don't, don't ever say, well, I can't do that or I don't have this. No, no, don't ever count yourself out. God was in the business of using everybody who was willing to work on the wall. Two or three times in the third chapter here, Nehemiah mentions individuals who, who had a really interesting take on this wall building project. One of them was a guy by the name of Jediah and, and he raised his hand and, and you know, he looked fairly young and strong and Nehemiah was excited. Okay, great, we'll get you going on the next section of the wall. No, 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 I'm not doing the next section of the wall. What? Yeah, I'm gonna do the wall right in front of my house. I'm gonna do this little piece, right? And you know, my house is about 25 feet wide and I'm gonna do 25 feet of the wall right in front of my own house. Really? That's it, huh? Yeah, that's all I'm doing. And it feels kind of self-serving to me. It feels like somebody who says, I'll work on it as long as I see the direct benefits of it. And this is the section of wall that's going to protect my house from invaders and stuff. And so I'll work on it. It feels really narrow to me. And really, for this guy, Jediah, it feels a little stingy to me that that's all he would do. But church, we have to be alert to this as we move into beyond a building because I, I hear people talk around here and I hear people say, I am so excited about Metro Community Church finally having its own home. 
that we don't have to set up chairs every week. We don't have to fight with technology. We don't have to mess around and spend hours and hours doing that all the time. I get that. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm supportive of that. But there's also people over on this side of things that are so excited about Metro Community Center, they literally don't care if we keep meeting here in this room forever. Because what they're saying is, no, we haven't been able to do things for this city. We haven't been able to, been able to provide programs for children and youth and seniors and immigrants in this city that they desperately need. We can worship anywhere. We've proven that in 14 years, moving around from place to place. What's really important is Metro Community Center. And I say amen to that. But what I would invite both of you to do is get your nose up out of the weeds. Stand up. Look around. I mean, this guy who wants to build one section in front of his house, I think if I was Nehemiah, I'd have said to him, dude, go stand in the middle of town and look all the way around at this entire stretch. All of this needs to be rebuilt. We can't just do one little part or the wall is completely ineffective. And the same thing pertains to us. Yes, I know that God has put maybe the church more on the heart of some of us and the community center on the hearts of others. That's great. That's fine. But don't lose sight of the bigger vision, church. This is way bigger than any one thing. This is way bigger than not setting up chairs anymore. Our vision needs to be broad. We need to look at this project the same way that God does. But, but to Jediah's credit... I will say this, narrow vision is better than no vision at all. At least he built one little stretch of the wall, fine. I bet he could have done more, but at least he made that contribution. Narrow vision is better than no vision at all, but I would encourage a much broader vision for everybody. Another gentleman stands up in this meeting. He's alone, and he doesn't look like much of a wall builder. And Nehemiah asks him who he is, and he identifies himself, and he identifies himself as a politician. So that didn't really set him up to be a good wall builder. And so Nehemiah is interacting with this guy and realized, okay, sir, we'll find another team for you to work on. Thank you very much for your willingness. But right then a young woman stands up right, right by him. And Nehemiah, and, and two more young women stood up. And, and then a couple more. Pretty soon there's like five or six young women surrounding this older gentleman. And Nehemiah says to the guy, who are they? Who are these people? And before he can even answer, one of the women says, we're his daughters, and we're going to build a wall with dad. Now, in that moment, they, they broke pretty much every cultural, politically correct norm that the people were used to. This is not what women did. Women were in the house, and they were behind the scenes and stuff. And these women are out there rolling up their sleeves, ready to go to work on the rock pile to support their dad. Verse 12. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next session with the help of his daughters. Now, what do these women show us, Metro? A couple of different things. One, they show us that serving God will push us far beyond ourselves. We cannot be content with who we are, what we've done, and what our comfort zone is. You can believe that for those young women, when they made that commitment that day to help their dad, they were taking a huge step outside of their 
comfort zones. But they also show us another thing, that serving God is a family affair. They were in this for the wall, yes, but they were also in it for dad. And they were going to do this thing together as a family. For those of you that are parents that have kids, are you talking to them about beyond a building? Do they even know that we have started this process, this initiative towards getting our own building? Do they even know that you guys are talking and praying about what your part in this project might be? This is a golden opportunity. It may be the only time in your life that you ever have the opportunity to participate as a family in something like beyond the building. Serving God is a family affair. And then a larger group stands up in the meeting and they identify themselves as being from the city of Sanoa. If you look on the map, Sanoa is 13 miles away from Jerusalem. Now that's a little far to be commuting every day to work on the wall. If they did that, if they woke up in Sanoa and walked to Jerusalem and then back at the end of the day, for you Fitbitniks, that's 52,000 steps a day that they would be doing, just getting to the job site. So maybe they came and camped out, we don't know. But what we do know is these guys were led by a man who, whose name was Hannon, and he volunteered the team from, town, from his town. And I look at them as a missions team, okay? They didn't live in Jerusalem. They had their own town with their own issues, but they identified Jerusalem as kind of their spiritual and civic center, and so they were going to have a part in it. They put this team together, and they sent them to Jerusalem to work on the wall. But listen to this. Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Sanoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Church, a thousand cubits is 500 yards. 500 yards of wall built by the team from the town of Sanoa. Let's get one thing clear right now. When Nehemiah uses the word wall, He's not talking about a little stone wall like you'd put around your garden to keep the sheep from getting in and eating your vegetables. No, he's talking about a massive structure, probably at least 20 feet tall. And later, I don't want to steal the thunder from whoever is going to be preaching later, but, but I'll tell you right now, when they finished the wall and dedicated it, Nehemiah tells all the workers, all the people from the temple and everything to go get up on top of the wall form two parades, march around the top of the wall in opposite directions and meet each other on the other side. Guys, there was like a small highway on top of this wall. This is a massive structure. And the men of Sanoa built 500 yards. Did they commit to that? I don't know. Maybe they committed to 50. And they said, well, that went pretty well. Let's do 100. Hey, this is great. We're having fun. Let's go to 200. I don't know. But in the end, Nehemiah records that these guys did 500 yards yards of the wall. Metro, there are people among us here who have significant capacity to contribute towards beyond a building. There's others of us that have kind of medium-sized capacity, and there's others of us that have very low capacity. These guys from Sanoa, they had the capacity to probably build the largest section in the entire project, and they stepped up and they did it. I'm sure they could have done something great in their own hometown with all the time and effort they put in, but they said, no, we want to be a part of what God is doing for the city of 
Jerusalem. Some of you live outside of Inglewood. Some of you live in Inglewood. The call is equal. As Pastor Peter told us last week, this is our spiritual home here. This is the town that God has called this local body to serve in in a significant way. So whether you're local or whether you come from 13 miles away, this is your church and the invitation is equally strong to every one of us. And then finally, finally, the meeting's drawing to a close. I think groups are getting together. They're starting to strategize how they're going to do their section of the wall. And, and Nehemiah starts hearing this noise. It's, 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 it's out of sight and there's rocks being moved around and there's somebody shouting. And, and he asks, what is that noise out there? And everybody's like, oh, I don't know. And so he sends somebody, go find out. It's getting distracting. And so somebody goes out and, and, and the guy comes back. He says, Nehemiah, don't worry. It's just Baruch. Well, Nehemiah is not from town. He doesn't, well, who's Baruch? And when this guy says Baruch, the people around kind of smiled and, you know, they kind of nod their head. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, get, we know what he's talking about. What's the deal? Well, this guy says Baruch is a little different. Number one, he doesn't do meetings. We've been in here for three hours, Nehemiah, doing this, and he can't take 10 minutes of a meeting. And, and so, Nehemiah says, so, okay, what's he doing? Oh, well, he's out there building the wall. What? Yeah, the noise you hear is he, he got some of his buddies, and they're starting to build a section right now while we're having this meeting. In this third chapter, in verse 20, Nehemiah records for us, next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Of all the people... Of all the names that Nehemiah notes in chapter 3, he never once attaches the word zealously to any of them except this guy Baruch. And zealously means with passion. Zealously means with fire in his belly. Zealously means get out of my way. I know what the job is. Don't confuse me with a meeting. Zealously is let me grab the next five guys that I see so we can start putting this wall together. And church, I cannot imagine how motivational Baruch was to this project. I can't imagine how much his energy gave energy to other people when they got tired. Because I picture this guy as kind of unstoppable. He's a little bit wild. He's a little bit crazy. He doesn't do well in meetings. But man, can he build a wall. Serving God should energize us, church. Serving God should put the gas in our tank. And I want you to notice something here in chapter 3. Read it for yourself. Nehemiah never once mentions a single person who is a carpenter, a stonemason, or a wall builder. He mentions all kinds of other occupations who have come together to learn the trade so they could build the wall. And I think there's a reason for that. If there was a, a, a team of 500 professional wall builders that came in and put this thing up in, in record time, I don't know that God would have gotten the same glory that he got with a bunch of misfits, a bunch of leftovers, a bunch of people who could easily have counted themselves out. But when they did the wall, and I'm not going to tell you how fast they got it done. That's for another sermon. When they built the wall, I believe God got greater glory because it was God or nothing. He needed some faithful people to be involved, but this was God's deal. Church, 
we have to see here that God, through his man, Nehemiah, is issuing an invitation to all of his people. And, and the same can be said today for what's going on here in Inglewood and with Metro Community Church. God is extending an invitation to every single one of us that calls Metro their home. We also need to notice that none of the people listed in chapter 3 were qualified. Not a single one of them had the characteristics and the job description needed to build this wall. Not a single one. We need to show up. We need to be alert to what God is inviting us to do. Even if we think we're not qualified, God may have different ideas. And then finally, we see that God blesses the commitment and the efforts of these wall builders. They respond to God in obedience and they end up serving under God's favor and they are successful at what they do. And I believe that we as a congregation have every reason to expect that God will equally bless our commitment and our efforts as we follow him in obedience. And that aircraft hangar down in Venezuela so many years ago, yeah, we were homeless for 18 months. We were working out under the hot Amazon sun to keep the planes flying and do the work that we had to do for 18 months. But then we got a place to build a new hangar and we started working on it and we wore all kinds of different hats. We became architects and welders and painters and plumbers and electricians and we, we invited anybody who had some trade that would help us to come and help us and within 18 months we moved into our new hangar. And I will tell you this, that to a person, none of us would have said, oh, I wish we were back in our old space. Because God knew that our ministry was growing and God knew we needed more than just two parking spaces because we were going to get additional aircraft and additional pilots. And the new hangar was adequate for four airplanes and we could do all of our work in there. And we had office space, an air-conditioned office. We thought we were in heaven. And, and, and a shop to work in and a place for all of our parts and stuff. And, and for years and years, that hangar was a huge blessing to us. We never would have gone back, even though it's not anything we ever would have chosen when we were told we have 15 days to get out of our hangar. Metro Beyond a Building is the story that God is writing on Metro Community Church, Metro Community Center, and the city of Inglewood right now. And he is inviting all of us to be a part. The only question is the same one Nehemiah had as he traveled. How are these people going to respond? Who's going to build this wall? Would you pray with me?